You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Joe. Hi, hello. You already know from the title, today is Hunger Games Part 2, where we'll be diving into Catching Fire. But before we do that, just want to remind y'all to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, do your listening. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on social media. Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok are at ProBookNerds. And you can send an email to professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. With that out of the way, let's dive in to Catching Fire. Um, Who is joining me today? Well, of course, I have Emma. And welcome back, a voice you may or may not be familiar with. You may or may not have heard for a few times. Jill is back. Hi. (laughs) Hello. Welcome, uh, my special guest, not co-host. Not co-host. Yeah, yeah. It's wild. I I clearly can have tell you all that I've had multiple technical difficulties <laughs> just getting started here today. It's amazing that I ever did this for seven years. I mean, it's alarming how quickly it gets rusty. <laughs> like I didn't do yeah. an episode for like a couple of weeks there because of scheduling. And then I had to go back and be like, wait, <laughs> what I, am yes. I doing? What am I doing? <laughs> Right. It's been nary a week since Jill's announcement <laughs> no. and yeah. everything has left. I know. It has. It has. But that's All okay. Vanished. It's so nice to have you here as a guest. Thanks for having me. And you're also kind of driving this bus today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm putting you solely responsible for this idea because. I, we already talked about it in part one, but I love the Hunger Games as a franchise, both book and film. And when you said it, whenever it, whenever it happened, I knew I was on board, but I'll let you kick us off. Okay. Yeah. So we are here to talk about Catching Fire, which was the second book in the Hunger Games trilogy. It was originally published in 2009. Um, This is part of a retrospective we're doing over the course of this year. So if you have not listened to our first episode, which is about the Hunger Games, you can go listen to that and catch up. Um, Yeah, so with Catching Fire, I'm going to read the book description first. Um, Against all odds, Katniss Everdeen has won the annual Hunger Games with fellow district tribute Peta Malark. But it was a victory won by defiance of the Capitol and their harsh rules. Katniss and Peta should be happy. After all, they have just won for themselves and their families a life of safety and plenty. But there are rumors of rebellion among the subjects and Katniss and Peta, to their horror, are the faces of that rebellion. The capital is angry. The capital wants revenge. What's interesting to me about this right off the bat is it's not really the capital that wants uh-huh. revenge. <laughs> uh, presidents know. The, the description... I was a little bit taken aback by this because I haven't read the book description in like Mm -hmm. 10 years. There's so much more to this. 
there's so much more that like I guess when you have a solid start like the Hunger Games into what turned out to be a fantastic series you don't need much of a description to sell your second book but there is so much more to it that like isn't really even spoilers to include in there well I think some of it would I think the second half of the book you you know because the whole point of winning the Hunger Games is you don't have to do that again and so Spoiler alert for anyone who has not read The Hunger Games um, or Catching Fire. They go back into the arena. And so you can't really. But yeah, this is like super high level, though, about. Right. What is happening? It's Um, like an elevator pitch of a description. It is. It is. Right. So when the book opens, um, Katniss is getting ready for the victory tour. Um. Where she and PETA, as the winners of the Hunger Games, go um, by train through each of the districts and spend time in each of the districts um, as the the winners, you know, fun times yeah. like that. Like, which the whole concept of that is so bizarre to me as well. Like to parade around the people who killed, killed tributes. That part, that part. Yeah, that's weird to me. And like pay tribute. Yeah, and pay tribute tribute to all of their fallen comrades at arms, like competitors. Yeah, it's it's a really weird. It's weird. It's it's a strange dynamic. Propaganda y thing. Yes, super propaganda y. So there, it's it's like six months after the seventy fourth, which is the one Katniss and Peta won together. They're doing this tour. They start on the outskirts and work their way in. But then the final stop is actually 12, right? Where there's a that big is, party? Yeah. Well, yeah, okay. that the capital will pay for. Yeah. Like right. from what I got, I believe under normal circumstances, the victory tour starts in 12 and works to the capital. But because they were the winners of District 12, I think it ends at 12. Right. At- I believe I believe it ends at the home district. Yeah. And- but in, in this case, since they are starting at the usually the start or they're ending at the usual starting point. They go to 11, which, of course, is where Rue was from, Katniss's ally. This is where we start to see those hints of rebellion. These are those. Right. Well, before we even get there, because the book opens, it's like the morning of, and Katniss is out hunting, like she still does on occasion, like outside the bounds, and then ends up coming home to Victory Village, where... There were like houses built for all the victors, but there's only three of them. (laughs) (laughs) And it just when she like walks in and her mom's like, How was your walk? She's like, What are you talking about? And suddenly, um, turns out President Snow's at her house. Just waiting, waiting in her waiting in her study. Just hanging out. With just a few cute demands. Just a few. Just he, a few demands. He wants Katniss to convince the country that she was acting out of love for Peta. She wants, he wants her to sell this relationship because he doesn't buy it. Right. And he doesn't think anyone else does either. 
I don't see that's what is interesting to me because I don't know if that's true. I think everybody else does. I think it's just snow doesn't want to admit it. It's that's the thing that I found so interesting with this book and then the following is that there are moments where you see that like, okay, some people like the resistance, I, I think it was truly President Snow and the resistance who saw Katniss as a point of dissent, that it was a dissentful or a dis, yeah. dissentive action and not out of love, but I think all of the everyday viewers, the majority of people in general, uh, you know, I, I think there's like the hierarchy of the capital people are in love with them as a couple. The people in the districts are fighting for their story. So they also see it. And then they relate to the like, yeah, it is unfair that the capital is breaking up these lovers. But yeah. then once you get one step higher than that, that's where the people question the motives. Is there a bigger plan? Is yeah. Katniss a part of it? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, presidents know. And so he basically like threatens her and says, if you can't sell me on this relationship, then I'm going to basically kill all of your family, including your quote unquote cousin, Gail. Quote unquote cousin. <laughs> quote unquote cousin, which sort of, you know, traps Katniss in this life now of being with PETA. And we know that Snow will do it as well because we're heading into the the third quarter quell, the 75th Hunger Games, and the last quarter quell winner just so happened to be Hamish, their oh-so-friendly compatriot and fellow uh, District 12 victor, and his whole family just happened yeah. to be killed by Snow because of his actions in his quarter quell. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, it's interesting. Which we can talk about later, but Which you know. <laughs> we can, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, it's interesting. You know, they set up this, so just go with me on this comparison. Um, mm. Joe, I know you also play Zelda Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you ever watched those videos of people who, okay. It's for like, sure my For You page currently while we're waiting for Tears okay. of the Kingdom. <laughs> people find the most banana ways of sort of achieving certain results. And Breath of the Wild in particular, I think is a game where like there is a quote unquote correct way of doing things, but the game is also set up in a way where so open world, so just do whatever. Yes, you can just do whatever. And people do wild, wild things like that seems like it would be against physics, but the mechanics of the game allow it. And it's encouraged in a lot of ways among other players to sort of watch these videos of the things that people do. Yeah. And the Hunger Games is the complete opposite of that, which is interesting to me in that, you know, they're like, no, there's one way you're supposed to do this and you're supposed to win. And if you do any other way, we're going to consider you a cheat. If you deviate, we're going to consider you like essentially a cheater and we're going to make you pay for it. Right. We'll either use things within the games themselves to redirect you in the path we want you to go. And if we can't coach you, we'll either find a way to kill you in the games or punish you forever after the fact. Correct. Yeah. So that's what Katniss is up against as they go on this victory tour. And she doesn't want to tell anybody because why would she tell PETA? He doesn't need to know, which come on, girl, please. Like she does. Mm. The tension in this book between 
Katniss and Peeta. Well, it's I was thinking about this as I was rereading it. We talked a lot about how the 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 movie of the Hunger Games was the one that really seemed to push the love triangle because you mm-hmm. didn't necessarily get it in the book. Then you get this book and they're like, she's pushing that love triangle hard. I'm like, I don't remember this. Like, I, I don't remember this. I also didn't remember <laughs> it being so forced in the books until my reread for this episode as well. Like, although I think this time around I saw it, I was a little more like, I think Katniss is trying to explore her options. Yeah. But I still stand by it's it's always the bread boy. Oh, I think it's always the bread boy too. I just feel like I don't think in Hunger Games Gale was ever really seen as an option. Because she didn't think she'd ever get back to him. Well, that's right. fair. That's fair. And, right. and now it's she's living in this world where his life is threatened and that's awakening feelings. But also they've had this awkward time from post winning to their life now. And also like Gail's now working in the mines because yeah. he's old enough. And so their time together is limited. And I think things that maybe Gail never said, he's starting to bubble up with. But yeah, Katniss doesn't want to I think she has experienced as a character so much pain and loss and she knows that she has this target on her back that there's an element of like selflessness where she doesn't want to inflict that on anyone else yeah. but she also doesn't want to open herself up to any more pain. That's fair. I also think this is the first I mean, not like the first book, but this is the book that really starts to grapple with what the Mm -hmm. consequences are of winning the Hunger Games and doing so in a way where PETA and her love story was so integral into that victory where Hamish and others pretty much make it extremely clear that this is the path that she's on forever, assumedly, like until we get, you know, a little bit further and and other things are thrown their way, but like they're meant to be in love forever. They're victors. They'll be trotted out to do these tours and do whatever the capital wants. And they are going to be happily ever after for the rest of their lives. And that's it. Yes. Right. And I don't know that they realized any of that or what that entailed. Definitely. That's such a good point. And I think keeping that in mind as we end this book and go into the next is also going to be really helpful for that context of why is this threat of a life together such a a threat to Katniss that like it wasn't just getting out of book one and then going back to your normal life. You are now a cog in the, the capitals machine. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're planning a wedding. That is going to be like broadcast, like reality TV style. You know, they're like voting on dresses, like the capital is voting on dresses. I mean, it's a whole thing. So I don't, I, I literally remember reading this and like, yeah, of course they're in love. They're absolutely desperate for survival. Of course they're going to get married. There's going to be a fake baby scheme. As an adult now, rereading this and refreshing my memory, they are children. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is deranged. Yes. 
Absolutely. And we co-signed that right away. <laughs> like, we were just like, well, yeah, like, naturally. Yes, I ship it. I ship it. <laughs> like, what? <It's- laughs> that toxic yeah. 2010s culture of shipping. Right. Yeah, or something where you're just like, of course, they'll do whatever it takes. And I think it is that dystopian element where obviously things are a lot more heightened, a lot more dramatic. You know, they're in situations where Katniss is like feeding her family things yeah. that I don't like I certainly couldn't relate to when I read this book. Like, right. But so, yeah, just in the rereading of this, all of that plot line feels absolutely bonkers to me. Right. And of course, aside from what we can't understand from our own perspectives, there's also that really interesting piece of, like you said, dystopian work where their world is so different that we also would never have a context in which we'd think like, yeah, it should seem normal to people for these 17, 18 year olds to go off and get married because, you know, what else do they have to live for? Yeah, Yeah. for sure. And so all of those plans are uh, hampered, (laughs) hindered uh, with the quarter quell twist that I know we wanted to talk about. We do. We sure do. So just a quick note, they go on their victory tour throughout as as they get further along. So Katniss starts off with this message from Snow that if she doesn't sell it, everyone she loves is dead. Um, from 11 on, so from stop number one on, things just kind of get worse. Every district as they get closer, something happens. There's some sort of uprising or standing against the peacekeepers or in favor of Katniss and Peta's action to win the games compared to anything else. Um, and we hear people get killed. We, you know, there's a lot of violence and aggression that starts as a response to this. Um, so that tour wraps up. Katniss didn't sell it. She's she's not feeling great. Now she's got a fake wedding to plan. Well, a real fake wedding. To, so odd. But yes, a real fake wedding to plan. Uh, she's got to come up with a talent. She's got to try on dresses to have the folks of the Capitol vote on. And then there is an announcement of the 75th Hunger Games, the third quarter quell. And quarter quells, as that 25 milestone, always have some sort of special twist. This one, the twist, of course, is the victors from previous games are going back into the ring. In the case of District 12, Katniss knows she's going back. She is the only female victor. And the only hope that she has to not see Peta in the games is for his name to be chosen first so Hamish can volunteer, uh, which, of course, dramatically does not happen. Hamish's name is picked first. Peta volunteers. Then they're off to the Capitol to start all of the fun media press junkets. Now, here's a question that I have in my notes. Yeah. Do we think... Snow manipulated the quarter quell twist in order to force Katniss back in. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There are so many ways to look at it. Like, I want to immediately be like, sure, we could believe the the legend that all of the quarter quell options were 
like foretold in stone by that one person who wrote all of them. Um, it's just a little too suspicious. It's a great. little too, too well-timed. Yeah. Too convenient to his problem that she was a symbol of hope and uprising and they needed, they couldn't, you can't kill off a reality wedding superstar. Right. And right. so I think it was too convenient that it was a really easy, easy way to get rid of Peta and Katniss all for the sake of this larger thing. No, I agree. And I, you know, in the movie adaptation, it does hint very strongly that it was manipulated. What is interesting to me, wow, I say that word a lot in this episode. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Well, first we should say there's a new game maker, right? Because Seneca Crane, unfortunately, did not make it. Um, Yeah, he didn't survive the last Hunger Games either. He sure did not. And that becomes a different plot point later. But um, so we have a new um, game maker. Uh, Plutarch Heavensby and I think for Snow I feel like Snow is just so short-sighted about all of this correct that's that's why there's a part of me that's like (laughs) yes it's too convenient but this is so poorly thought as a reaction if she is the face of a rebellion that no one knows about why would you put her on a global stage in hopes that she doesn't have any supporters of fellow contestants like but also while knowing mm-hmm. the capital all the folks in the capital especially are looking forward to right. the wedding and like they're not even part of the rebellion right. that we're aware they're like this whole other thing who are so invested in in that, their this, wedding in, in their the wedding dress, in, in the, the dress and all of that circumstances yeah why would you put them back in and do that right it just seems so short-sighted it's one of those like hedge the bet of the only way we can have this kind of wacky rule is just so happens to be (laughs) this year what's going to be more worth it and i don't know i don't know i just i i i I mean i do think he manipulated them yeah i just feel like he was so focused on getting katniss out of the picture entirely that he wasn't really he essentially did he did what Katniss and Peta did he was looking entirely on the end result of survival and for him that means tamping down any rebellion and the only way to do that is to get rid of Katniss and just does not think about the long-term effects of what that actually means for everybody else Right. Because what really is the face what what does it matter if the face of the rebellion lives or dies if they are a figurehead. I mean, she goes in the games and dies. She's a martyr to the cause. Like right. her being in the games does not help his end goal. No. It's, I, I guess I could see on the like, how do we spin this side of things? It's just so unfortunate that, that you know, these two star-crossed lovers are are back in the games and hoping that everyone else who's forced to pay attention, because, you know, that's the, them's the rules, uh, they forget about the rebellion at hand because they're all like in the districts, they're also so invested in the capital that they could go off after. It's so Maybe. odd. Like there's, there's it's so no... odd to me. Yeah. But I, I think in the book, President Snow was pretty clear though that 
it's a reminder to everybody that it the is, capital yes. can crush anyone, including those that are the strongest among them, including past victors. So even these people that are supposedly like now removed, they did their duty and they can now live their lives in peace. Even they are not safe when the capital calls on them or says, this is what you're doing. And I, I do think it's short-sighted, but I think it's like a desperate action to regain yeah. that sort of power control power that he is meant to have. And it has been slipping for yeah. some time now. No, that's true. That is the whole point of the quarter quell is yes. As like a, a reminder to- again, which is, I mean, which I think is the only argument that lends itself to the fact that this could be legitimate. I think it's the fact yeah. that it happened this particular quarter quell. That seems it was just too, it seems too convenient. convenient. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's possible. Like I don't, we don't know how much people know about like how much the people in charge know about the quarter quells like future ones like it's possible that it was in there and they just moved it up i mean i don't know but yeah i mean that's a good point that the whole point of the quarter quell is as a reminder that nobody is safe even victors now random question since we've already talked a bit about the movie or kind of brought up some movie-based questions compared to book-based questions. When you think about how the Hunger Games are operating, do you envision in the book that it is as um, Cabin in the Woods, like men on computers as it seems to be in the movies, or does it feel a little different in the book? In the book, it's... Like, I, I I, vibe with what the movie produced. Like, that to me is like, yeah, this makes sense. They've got this, like, control room of different folks tapping on buttons and sending out smoke and, and whatnot. Um, do you think, do you agree with the idea of, like, the game makers having that much control and ability to change things at will in the book world? Or, I don't know. That's a really good question. Because we don't see anything behind the scenes. Yeah, that's what I appreciate the in the movies is right. that that touch of behind the scenes. But this is where I'd like to, you know, Suzanne, if you're listening, uh, please, please reach out. I would I like mean, to know your thoughts on the movie. I, I do. I do, though. It feels very Truman Show to me. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I, I do imagine, you know, like Truman Show, the whole like eye in the sky, a guy in the moon mm-hmm. running like that's the vibe I get. Or yeah. like Westworld, it's the same thing where there's somewhere yeah. a, a bunker where they're they're where running the game things. Makers behind. are because it's twenty four seven. I mean, they have to have people there in real time. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. I agree. Jurassic Park, like all that stuff. I totally buy that. That's how it works. Yeah, like yeah. Wizard of Oz, not like quite as simplistic as. The- of man right. behind, a curtain, behind the curtain yeah that yeah. there's there's somewhere lurking close by yeah i mean i think there'd have to be as we get further in the book because of like response to things that happen later like i i think there does definitely right. have to be people in the wings <laughs> in the wings all the time okay yeah. so the reaping happens katniss and Peeta back in the ring you know they have all of their um their usual 
business going on as far as being shown to capital audiences and audiences at home. They're doing interviews. And then all of a sudden, PETA shares that it's just such a shame because Katniss is pregnant. It's so good. I mean, it's, it's a so great smart. move. It's so smart. It's such a great move. I mean, way to be strategic, PETA. You really are a gem. He really, he, it he is. really so is. Smart. It's so smart. And the fact that he doesn't know anything, though, he's helping to incite. Correct. Further. Like, he doesn't know that he's just given the rebellion more ammunition. He's just trying to keep them both alive or at the very least be like, send Katniss home, please. Yeah, because he just loves her and wants them to be okay. Right. Now, here's something, though, that I that always strikes me as a bit sort of hypocritical about the capital is that the people in the capital they love these tributes mm-hmm. but they also fully champion sending children to an arena they fully want year to see the blood after spill. year after year but now that she's pregnant they get mad about the idea of something happening well, like correct like you're <laughs> okay <laughs> okay sure now it's a problem Okay. Now we care all of a sudden. Now we care. Babes having babes and it's a problem. They're they're all just, again, that they're, they're literal children doing whatever it takes to survive. just seems so wild. Waiting on a tax return. Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Anne Marie Kelly. Wild Precious Life is a podcast about dreaming big, digging in and connecting across distance, division, and loss. In each episode, I talk with prize winning writers, musicians, and wanderers who remind all of us how we can make the most of the time we have. So meet me here. Let's walk and talk and dream and discover what it means to be wild, precious, and brave. One of the reasons I like catching fire um because you know in addition to Katniss and Peta doing all the interviews we get to meet all the other tributes who have <laughs> you can do it yes. Emma it's the, best, it's the best book because of Finnick O'Dare <laughs> I mean I other was, other reasons but I, mean, I was gonna yes, say Joanna Joanna also, I was gonna no. say Joanna yeah I bet Joanna's a Scorpio since that was both oh. of our reaction <laughs> <laughs> Hundred percent. I would totally buy Joanne as a Scorpio. I love these other tributes that we get to meet in yes. the arena and as part of the and like especially at that event where Caesar is interviewing all of them individually and like Snow makes mm-hmm. Katniss go out in her wedding dress. In her wedding dress, which the, of the course PR. naturally has been so carefully disguised by Cinna to transform into another beautiful, dark, haunting look. Oh. But 
Oh my God. Yeah. But oh my gosh, this, you said it, Emma, this is the best book. This is my favorite book. It's so good. It's my favorite. Because you get all of this fantastic character building and you actually care about the other people that, that they're with in the arena, which you don't have so much in the first one. You're dealing with the same emotions Katniss is as far as like, do we hate PETA now? Uh, I want justice for Rue, but you don't necessarily fall in love with Rue in some of the same ways that you get the chance to with other characters because we're constantly haunted by the fact of by the end, Katniss is going to have to kill whoever she's with to survive. Right. Right. And this book, which I I think there are other series that there are definitely books in them uh, where you kind of go, this was just a vessel to get to the next one. Um, And while this kind of ties us from two or from one to three, it is by no means even remotely like negligible. Correct. This is not filler. This is the best one. This is. No, (laughs) it is. Like I love it so much. I love it so much. Because this is the one where like the stakes are just so alarmingly high. Not that like staying alive isn't a very high stake in the first book, but that it's staying alive, mitigating all of these things, um, like fake engagement or like, you know, fake pregnancies, fake fake pregnancies, um, the try to tamp down a rebellion, but also you're not a fan of president snow. Like there's going back into the hunger games there's it's just so much piled on top of these young teens yeah that you really feel that tension build like there's so much to lose well and they're not all young teens because the hunger games has been around for 75 years at this point and so that's true we've got earlier ones yeah we've got a a widespread of folks so we've got finnick odare mags flanagan who is also from phoenix district and is like a 80 70 she's like like she's definitely older yeah she's somewhere up there um joanna mason wyrus beady enobaria brutus gloss cashmere uh so many but um finnick Mm -hmm. i just want to talk about him for (laughs) one minute he's the greatest of all time in both do, do you mean Finnick or Sam Claflin Sam, well, I mean, no both, both. I think 100% both. <laughs> both because in the book when we meet him the scene with where he says want a sugar cube I'm sorry sold <laughs> sold. sold I just and then and Sam Claflin does it oof. so nicely oh, in God. the movies that it really just solidified my Finnick affection <laughs> What I like about Finnick is that when you first meet him, you very much have a very particular idea of who he is, yeah, which mm-hmm. is not at all correct. And so, <laughs> yeah, like as you learn more about Finnick and what he left behind, it you just love him even more that he just comes across as kind of like a douchebag. <laughs> yeah. That he comes across as just this terrible... He's like a bro. I mean, Right. Celebrity bro. Fa- like, you know, the worst YouTuber you can ever imagine. Like, that's what you think Yes. Of. Yes. And he's not like that at all. In reality. It's and that so he, good. Yeah, exactly. That there's just... Because he, he definitely comes across at first. Like, he was the 
one of the youngest victors when he won. He's still young now, 10 years later. Like he's got a sought after. He's got like a trident, you know, like Mm -hmm. he's Mm -hmm. just a bronzed bro. Mm -hmm. And he really has so much more underneath the surface. (laughs) Yeah. Fishing pun. I think I think everyone Kenneth meets though is like that. Like I think Joanna's yeah. very similar in that you kind of that first scene, I think, is the elevator scene. When you first the really get scene, yeah. when you first really get to know Joanna and you're like, what is happening here? I don't know who you are. And yeah. she also comes across as very not super nice or warm. She's not, but then as you get later in the book. You, you know, why. you see why, but also she shows she does have another side that um isn't she's not as selfish as she appears, I guess, is what it is. Absolutely. Now, since we are talking with spoilers here, because this is a retrospective of a series, uh, if you have not read this book, I hope you don't mind spoilers. So here we go. Now we know that the uprising is real. It is not just a thought or a concern or a fear of presidents. No, it is a real thing happening outside of the world. We saw that during the tour. And the only one who doesn't, the only one who's really not on the the page here are Katniss and Peta. They're the only ones who don't truly know that it's real. Like to the, well, Peta doesn't know anything at all at this point. Katniss hopes maybe but doesn't know but all of the people around her are working toward the goal of this rebellion and so that's also what adds something really beautiful to that perspective of why why is this like why is this hot man talking to me why is this moody axe-wielding woman talking to me because they are a part they are pieces of the puzzle they're a part of the resistance as well And so when they're heading into training, before they're heading into the games, Hamish has told them they have to make allies. And Katniss is wholly against this. She's very much just like, I won't be doing that. It worked so well for Rue, not interested, is working so well for PETA currently. And she basically says, well, I want like, (laughs) I want the weak old woman. I want the nerds from four. Like she wants... Four or eight? Eight. I, I want four. Are they four? I, so many numbers just rolling around. No, I feel like oh, they're, they're one from of the... District Three. Oh, they're from District Three. Okay. I was totally wrong on all accounts. <laughs> but it's one of, the, at least according to this Wikipedia page. No, that sounds right. They're definitely one of the like, because it is <laughs> Lower surprising. Numbers. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you have like the careers at one and two, and then you have these two, and you're like, really? They're uh-huh. like. <laughs> Right. We're looking like, at the uh, if we're looking at the districts as a hierarchy, they it seems unusual. But yeah, that, that, I think that right. three sounds right. So she wants people that she can align herself with who need her help, at least by her outward perception. She does not think they will serve her. She thinks she can protect them. Is the vibe I get because that's very Katniss. Um, so of course she says Mags getting Mags equals getting Finnick. Uh, Mags confirmed is eighty. Uh, and then as all of this comes together, they go off into the arena. The arena is set in an, a water base. You've got some water around the cornucopia in the center. 
which we slowly learn TikTok, TikTok is indeed a clock. And each clock section has a different threat to it that they're able to kind of time down by process of elimination. I'm trying to think of how best do I say, oops, we found out the hard way. (laughs) I mean, no, that's what it is. It's oops. They Right. So there's a force field that they have to watch out for. Thankfully, during training, Katniss kind of learned how to spot weak points in the armor of the force field so she can notice the kind of faint glow that they have in certain sections, blaming it. In my thought, it's because, you know, she's so used to hunting her eyes or so used to looking for the tiniest details. Um, When she has to shout this out to try to throw off the game makers, she's saying it must have something to do with how they fixed her ear that she now has super hearing and can kind of hear the buzz um, because she doesn't want to give her secrets. But so PETA is initially knocked out by the jungle's arena force field. Finnick saves him. But at first, you know, she was afraid that Finnick was going to kill him. She was ready to kill Finnick. Drama from the jump. She's immediately ready to turn on her allies. Um, There's poisonous fog that chases them down that they have to run from uh, in which the, the fog as it kind of seeps in, like makes your muscles not work the way they're supposed to. The movie just kind of has it generically burning and like painful, but it's like paralytic. And also you lose motor control basically. Um, Finnick is carrying PETA. Katniss is carrying Mags. Mags sacrifices herself to allow Finnick to save both PETA and Katniss a very sad moment um then as they reach the beach and kind of get themselves back together this is when joanna shows up we kind of see at this point joanna is aligned with them as well uh it looks like some deals and plans have been happening on Hamish's end and joanna has intentionally made sure to save bd and virus because those were katniss's only real requests right Wyrus is the one who reveals that the arena is a clock uh, because she says TikTok a bunch in the movie, but in the books she's singing uh, Hickory Dickory Dock, which is, I, I love, I love inclusions like that in dystopian works because it's listed as like this long ago thing that yeah. everyone seems yeah. to remember. And, you know, uh, and yeah, thoughts. I've been talking for a while there. <laughs> the arena is so good. The arena is, is so good. The reason the arena is the other reason among several, but is one yes. of the main reasons I much prefer this book over the first one mm-hmm. is because the arena is so good. The yes. arena is actually a character and a setting in this one. It is right. Yeah. So like, I don't, do we actually figure out what all the segments are over the course of the book? There's like, I don't believe there's the so. lightning strike. We know there's the, blood like raining blood, blood rain which is, yeah which is where joanna comes from um she comes out when she meets up with them um there's the jabber jays that sound like family Orchard. and they're like locked in they can't yeah they're like there's like a they're boxed in and have to be forced to listen to this stuff for an hour um the fog um there's monkeys Oh, the, the monkeys. The monkey mud. In the book. The monkeys. Yeah. So uh, our, wave. Tw- our 12 to the 1 wave. is a lightning storm. Uh, 1 to 2 is blood rain. 2 to 3 is poisonous fog. 3 to 4 is the monkeys. 4 to 5 is the jabber jays. 5 to 6 is unknown. 
mm-hmm. six to seven, what Peter refers to as the beast. And that's what kills. Um, we see that there's like, you, they uh... just hear some sort of like crazy we just hear some sort of like wild animal noise and right. that, and then the cannon goes off. It kills um, someone from district 10, uh, but we don't know seven to eight, eight to nine or nine to 10, mm-hmm. 10 to 11 is the tsunami that Emma was just mentioning, uh, which is just a giant wave that goes basically from the back force field all the way to the beach, I believe. I think so. Yeah. And then 11 to 12 is the bugs, the like really noisy that they just get louder and louder and louder. Ew. And as far as I can see in my research here, uh, just lists it as noisy bugs. So yeah. I'd be so curious to know if Susanna Collins has like figured out what the other ones are. I'm sure she has. Like you'd have to have a map, you know what I mean? That you can keep track of what's going on. Right. Like, and what were the other ones going to be? Like, if you had to fill them in, please tell us. I know. But I think what we all love about this book as well is like, this is really when all of those elements behind the scenes start to come together and be revealed. Like, this was almost like a mystery that we're piecing together in terms of like figuring out that the games are a clock, like the arena is a clock, re- mm-hmm. figuring out who you can trust, who you can't trust, like what alliances actually mean something and what don't. I think all of that comes to light in the arena is that like all of these things are happening outside of Katniss. Like yeah. Hamish is arranging allies. PETA is working on alliances. Like all of these other people are doing things for this larger purpose to keep Katniss alive to keep like hope alive to keep the rebellion alive and you don't necessarily you see all of that very slowly coming together piece by piece until we get to the dramatic conclusion right and you just see it start to like come to fruition via Katniss's anger because when she loses that control or that her ability to be the protector she acts out. She has that kind of aggression because she doesn't want to be helped for be, or helped out because that's never been her reality. She's been the one to have to save herself. Like we see it in book one where she's so angry, but also in love with Peta because he gave her bread. And it's the same thing here that him trying to help when she's just trying to like, just trying to save you, damn it, just infuriates her trying to survive the games. So there is that kind of final climax here, I suppose. The real drama comes together as Beatty develops a plan to break it all down. How are they going to win the game, all of them together as a unit? How are they going to escape the arena? What could they do? So they notice the clock face. They understand that things are moving on a time. And this is where, as you were saying, Emma, and as we were kind of talking about earlier, this is where the idea and the dynamic of these are games and there are people controlling everything really comes in. Not only because we're seeing like book one, we're basically hunting with Katniss the whole time. It's just a big open world. But in this, there are segments, there are sections, and everything that happens in them is contained to its section. So like that tsunami is not also going into the other clock sections. It's only falling in its little piece of the pie. 
And so that's when Beatty goes like, okay, well, all of this takes power. Where is the power coming from? And then they think of the lightning tree, the tree that gets stuck or struck by lightning at midnight every night. And that's when they develop a plan to basically fry the power and hopefully break down the the force kind of field grids that are keeping them tracked. So BD has wire. They are wiring the beach to become electrically charged to hopefully take out the people that they are not aligned with, which are the careers who are still careers. I'm always haunted by the visual of Inabaria, I believe, who has all of her teeth sharpened to points mm-hmm. from the movie. Mm-hmm. And that's also in the book, but you know, lovely. Um, and so they are basically heading to the tree to wrap it up and either conduct, well, I guess I should say the way I described it was Beatty's plan to get them out for book, the setup of book three, for the, the win to get Katniss out of the arena and to move forward with the resistance. The plan that is pitched to Katniss is we set up a trap on the beach harness the lightning and electrocute all of our enemies and we go from there. She does not know that this is going to blow everything up effectively and force their release. So they they're on the they get to the tree, some drama ensues, they are <laughs> they are running out of time before the lightning strikes if they're in the area, they're all going to get blown right on up um as Katniss and Joanna are heading to the beach to lay out the wire. They are ambushed by the remaining tributes who are coming for them. Joanna pretends to kill Katniss in a way to remove the tracker from her arm inserted by the Capitol to keep an eye on her during the games and also to get Inabaria and whoever else off the trail. Katniss then heads back fearing for PETA, um, and in in that case, is now I'm just thinking of the movie as she shoots the the arrow wrapped in wire into yeah. the sky, and then everything you know goes wild, and the body helicopter that usually picks up the the deceased picks her up. Uh, she is being taken out of the arena alive. Sure is. And that's the Hunger Games. Bye. <laughs> Right. That's it. It ends right That's there. That's it. It ends. But then, yeah, spoiler alert. There's like more at play here than she <laughs> knew. And the whole, the goal was always to get her to safety, I think, right. to get out of the games. And then the actual most bonkers final line of this book. Oof. Um, seriously, seriously, spoilers. But like you're in this already. We've been talking for like a billion years. <laughs> you made it this far. You made it this far. She's in somewhere. I don't remember if she's still in like a hovercraft or whatever, but she's with Gail. They're I think at that point she's at she's 13. At I... 13, which exists. Spoiler again. Um, and she's asking after her uh mother and sister, and Gail says. I got them out in time. And she's like, what do you mean? They're not at like at home. They're not in district 12. And the final line of the book is Katniss. There is no district 12. 
what a cliffhanger. I know. Seriously. They so just they, don't do them like that anymore. No, they, they don't. don't. They don't. And so don't. as a retaliation for like for getting out of the games and all of these things, they went and just bombed her district. Oh, I totally forgot about it. Earlier, before they leave, they blew up the hob where mm-hmm. Katniss did all of her hunting, so or all of the selling of her hunts. So she's been punished throughout consistently, but right, the final piece was firebombing District mm-hmm. 12. And then this is where she realizes that she has no choice but to be involved because yeah. she's like she's in it. She like she, yeah. There's no just surviving for her own sake. Right. Like this is happening. Yeah. And but I love though, when I looked at the book, there was like a teaser for the next book. <laughs> and the line just says, if we burn, you burn with us. And just dang, does all this just kick off? It does. <laughs> I know. But yeah. also, Emma, I love what you just said of lost it. <laughs> excellent excellent and scene well i yeah and then you all she find i mean like and then she finds out that the game maker like he was in on it the whole time like all of this was right yeah arranged she starts, she starts to learn the, like little symbols of the rebellion and that he tried to show his alliance to her at this grand party in the capital and that right the game maker himself was in on and had been like he infiltrated the capital well i think he had been like did he start sort of genuinely involved and then as he got more i don't know if that's ever ever explained explained. yeah i just remember him saying like oh well i was there when you shot the arrow in 70 yes number 74 so because he's the one who spilled the punch kind of thing yeah yeah um but that was it I, re- I remembered it came back to me i'll do some creative cuts. emma i love the point you made a little bit ago of how this is where katniss goes from just trying to survive to not having a choice in the resistance because that really is this whole book is about katniss's loss of autonomy about I mean the, the whole kind of series is about lacking autonomy and dystopia but book one she did have the power to do her best like there was nothing over her other than her want to make sure her family was safe and provided for and in this book she kind of from the jump we know from that meeting with President Snow she has zero autonomy she is doing everything in her power to kind of quote unquote right her wrongs and so snow has forced her into her storyline and then we see as we end this like the whole games was the resistance trying to force her into their storyline and then book 13 or book 13 book three in district 13 is when we will start to see how that resistance and rebellion storyline really bears down on Katniss and perhaps what the end results of uh, Katniss feeling so pressured and some other things that happen turn out. Do you think Katniss should have picked up earlier on the fact that there were things happening? It's so tough because that level of like 
pressure. When she went into her first Hunger Games, her fear was that her mom would go back into depression and fail her sister. And, you know, her her fear was her sister surviving. This time around, I think she had what what was the weight of her own world on her shoulders everything was at risk this time and it wasn't like the potential for her family to die because she was gone it was the reality of if she didn't sell this they were going to die that's like that's a promise and that they could just be killed anyway because snow decided yeah so i don't know if like with those other i think it's believable for her to have not picked up on it but i i will say to your point um to me, it's what kind of firmly cements this in YA is mm. the suspension of disbelief that this like strategically minded person and character could not sniff out the plan. That's fair. That's fair. I just think about, you know, yeah. So the new game maker Plutarchy has his watch where there's a Mockingjay. Cinna makes her a Mockingjay dress mm-hmm. and clearly pays for it. Um, yeah. Oh, after, so and, but like, and, well, like, and after having that conversation with Snow, like, she recognizes the Mockingjay symbol, but she seems to think it's, like, a very... She thinks it's, like, oh, uh, they've branded me. I'm the comedy I, queen this season. Like, kind of. Yeah. Yes, a little bit like that. Like, she only sees the Mockingjay as, like, a very surface-level thing. And I'm, like, right. you had the president show up at your house uh-huh. to warn you... That you have and to sell this and squash the rebellion. You have to sell rebellion. it, right. And you now are seeing all these people with Mockingjay stuff and you're just like, man, whatever. That's I'm sure that's fine and nothing to be concerned about. Yeah. After watching, then your stylist, like, like it just gets murdered in front of you, like intentionally murdered in front of you. It's timed right. very specifically for that. Um, You have all of these tributes are like, helping keep your part i just feel like i don't know but yeah. i don't know no, you you like. should i think you should question it like why didn't she pick up on it i think my brain goes to wanting to explain it away of oh well you know she said that everyone in the ca- that her like prep team said everyone in the capital is obsessed with mocking jays so maybe she was just like i'm the hot trend now yeah but also right she's she's very good at seeing the signs and then not trusting her gut because she explains it away as snow wanted to throw me off before i went in so he killed Cinna. like no yeah, no this, he, this was <laughs> that's true that's fair so that's fair. i i think that's that's why i go back to the like this is definitely what makes this firmly cemented in ya for at least this book because she is a little too um green i guess yeah or naive that's what i was naive. looking for yeah yeah for sure Any thoughts? Anything else? I don't um, think so. Any movie hot takes we have to call out right here, right now? I... I say, go ahead. Uh, we talked a lot last time about perfect casting. This film uh, uh, as well Again. is like perfect casting. Solid. But honestly, I... That Joanna Mason elevator scene... I love it. ...is better in the movie than it is in the book. Agreed. They... Hold that in the like, movie. Jenna Malone does so good in that scene and brings so much more to like the simple dialogue. That, I, I mean, it's almost word for word the exact same, but the delivery is the de- like the little wink killer. she gives Hamish. Yep. And like, it's not even just her, like the Jennifer, 
like when she starts taking her outfit off the look that jennifer lawrence has where she's just like grim like she i can't even describe she's just like <laughs> when when Did he does unzipping her unzipping joanna and you jennifer lawrence's face is like excuse me like yeah. my fiance and yes fake uh-huh. baby daddy and you're unzipping this woman's dress and his eyes start to go down before they snap back up. Whereas oh, Hamish, whereas Hamish is like, okay, just full, just like, okay, we're partying here. We're partying it. here. It's so good. Oh God. I love that scene so much. I'll just watch it randomly at times because it's so good. It's such a good scene. It's such a good movie. The only thing I will say is it does fall victim to when it was released that the styling and some mm-hmm. of the the overall vibe choices as far as like hair makeup aesthetic clothing pieces you can absolutely date it to the period of time that might be my only oh. critique um but once again i am a person who loves adaptations as a different entity i know jill you tend to be a little more like i need faithfulness um, for certain things or like there are th- like, like we've talked about with like Daisy Jones that mm-hmm. there are some things you don't want to watch because you don't want to see like that interpretation of it or you know the book means something so different that you don't you know yeah yeah I feel I certain with certain franchises and adaptations I'm very good about recognizing them as just two very separate things yep um that's how I feel about this that like yeah this I love the source material but this is just a movie for me to get to enjoy kind of thing yeah which is why I am going to always probably be the least critical adaptation commentator (laughs) that's fair that's fair fair. all right well I I think we did it I think we Uh, did it listeners thank you for joining us for this Hunger Games part two wild ride if you liked this episode once again make sure rate review and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts reach out to us on social instagram twitter and tiktok are all at pro book nerds and you can send an email to professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com with questions comments or suggestions for future retro series we would love to deep dive into something that y'all have suggested so send those our way Just a note, part three will be coming soon where we will wrap up our discussion of The Hunger Games. We'll also take a little bit of time towards the end of that episode to talk of The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. So if you have not read book three in this series yet, get your reading done before the next episode or know that spoilers will be there. Jill, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, friends. It was nice to have the group back together. I I love having the band back together. Thank you all so much for joining us today. And as always, happy reading. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer and Joe Skelly and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw 
coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.